You may open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Let there be two things always true of this pulpit. That the emphasis by far is on the Word of God, and the Word of God is used with emphasis on the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I know how much ground we've already covered, what scriptures we've already been to, and what time it is. But I hope that we always appreciate as much scripture and scriptural remindings as we can get when we come into the Lord's house. We go into the sanctuary that we might be reminded of reality. And it's why we come here. The rest of the week is not reality. It's an illusion of lies and deception invented by men. We are studying the sweetest subject in the Bible. The most precious subject in the Bible. The sublimest. And it is the beauty and loveliness of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. We are doing it by taking what we know are desirable traits of a good man that we can see in the Bible itself and expanding those individual traits out as much as we can by our imagination to make the most perfect man that we can design, trait by trait, but then compare him, trait by trait, to the Lord Jesus Christ by the same trait. And we find that Jesus Christ is infinitely, infinitely superior to even our wildest imagination of perfection, trait by trait, of what a man could be. I trust God is pleased with the design and effort of our study. By virtue of inspiring the words, Thou art fairer than the children of men. And the way for us to see Jesus as being fairer than the children of men is to compare Him to the children of men, trait by trait. Song of Solomon chapter 5 says that He is the chiefest. Of 10,000. Well, how can he be chiefest in your understanding unless we make some comparisons? We want to find the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. So, without any review. And it's been two weeks since I was on this subject with you. I take up another aspect of a great man, and see if Jesus is not fairer. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, we have rules that Moses laid down for the church and the nation of God under the Old Testament. One of them was the dowry. Verse 28, If a man find a damsel that is a virgin 
which is not betrothed, and lay hold on her, and lie with her, and they be found, then the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife. Because he hath humbled her, he may not put her away all his days. That is a dowry. In this particular case, it's 50 shekels of silver that a man had to pay a girl's father for taking her virginity. And because he took her virginity, which greatly reduces her in value, he could not put her away all the days of his life even though Moses' law allowed the putting away of wives for certain things. A dowry. So the father gains cash, 50 shekels of silver, that are paid by the man or the young man in order to obtain his wife. So even in this case, the dowry was paid when there was seduction involved and fornication. The solution for fornication is marriage. Ideally, you enter marriage without fornicating. But if you do fornicate, then marriage is the solution in God's sight. But since you humbled that girl before you had a right to her, you may never put her away all your days by Old Testament law. Now look at Exodus chapter 22 with me. And let's just explore this a little bit further. Exodus 22. We don't have dowries in our nation. And the nations on earth that have dowries have entirely reversed them and corrupted marriage to an unbelievable extent in that dark, pagan place called India. You need to read about bride burnings and bride killings when you reverse the dowry and make the girl's family pay the man's family to arrange a marriage because then the man's in charge and what if he was bought for a woman that he doesn't love well there's a simple way to get rid of her oh the unhappy results of men thinking when men think They corrupt true value and a true system of justice. Exodus chapter 22, verse 16. If a man entice a maid that is not betrothed and lie with her, he shall surely endow her to be his wife. Do you know what the word endow means? Pay a dowry. If her father utterly refused to give her unto him... He shall pay money according to the dowry of virgins. There's always one man that has preeminent control in a marriage. And it's the girl's father. So that even though marriage is the solution, God's solution for fornication, if the father didn't like the little seducer, he could deny the little seducer his daughter. But even though the father denied the little seducer his daughter, the little seducer still had to pay the dowry of a virgin because the little seducer had stole the virginity of the man's daughter. 
perfectly good sense, a perfect punitive system for fornication. This is the Word of God. It's too bad none of this is preached anymore. No one cares about virginity anymore. Not even in the churches of America. There are a few left that will dare say the word V, the V word, from the pulpit. But it's the Word of God. And I hope that we never whitewash it in the least bit. But this is not my subject this morning. It's just to get us started with the subject of a dowry. Now, King Saul had a daughter. And he wanted to entice David into a situation where David would get himself killed. So he asked for a dowry for his daughter of 200 foreskins of the Philistines. And his hope was, I'm going to give him a tough one. He's going to have to go out and, and get himself 200, 100 Philistines was the dowry. David paid 200. David gave him a tip for his daughter. He's going to go out and to get himself 100 Philistines and whack off part of their anatomy and kill them. I hope that they kill him first. There wasn't a good motive at all, but it's another dowry that's in the Bible. A dowry was a payment by a young man to another man who was losing his daughter. In in a farming agricultural society to lose a daughter who could do many farm chores and many domestic duties, that was a great loss. And so the son compensated the father for the loss. The son also had to have been diligent and prudent financially to have earned and saved the money, and he would have needed to love the girl, or he wouldn't have been willing to give up the money for the girl. And we could go on and on, and I have done it before, but it's not worth it here, to explore all the benefits of a dowry system. We haven't improved on things in America. There's more divorce and dysfunction and unhappy marriages and fornication and whoremongering and casual sex and STDs than ever before in the history of this country. Don't tell me the system we have works. The system we have stinks and it doesn't work. But that isn't the subject. If we imagine ourselves being a young woman living at home, The urges that God put in us, virtuously and righteously, are desiring a husband. But we know that our Father has set a high dowry. And we're wondering if there's ever going to be a man that will come along and pay that dowry to get us. This is what we have to imagine in order to see Jesus Christ our Lord. Is a man able? Some men aren't able. They don't have the money. Is a man willing to pay for you? Would he part with hard-earned money? Remember, everything you earn, you have to pay taxes on. Everything you earn, you have to support your living. To have anything left over at the end means you have had to earn a lot of money to have something left over at the end. Aren't you all experiencing that on a week-to-week basis? That you earn a lot, but there's little left at the end of the week? Well, how do you have something left over to be able to pay a dowry? And so we're wondering, is there going to be a young man that will pay? My father thinks I'm something special, and he's put a dowry on me, a high dowry. Will there be a man to pay the dowry for me?
You know, when you think about the dowry, you ask yourself, what does a young man do today? Nothing. Unless you count buying her pizza as a dowry, you know. And then when he buys her a pizza, he eats two-thirds of it anyway if he's having a bad night. You know, the only thing a guy, a young man or a guy does today to a girl's father is to say yes, sir, and no, sir, while he's courting or dating her. It goes away afterwards. Yes, sir, no, sir, and may I have your daughter, sir? If he does that. It was a different, it was different in the Bible. It was different when God set up the rules of a nation and how they were to relate to one another. And when fathers got some measure of respect. Many may claim to, to love you, but what have they paid to prove the sincerity of their love? Look at Ruth chapter 4. Let's assume, for the sake of our illustration of the glory of Christ, that you are indeed, and that we are indeed, a beautiful, virtuous, gifted, well-favored young woman. We are beautiful to look upon. Our Father has trained us well. We are worthy of quite a dowry. Ruth was such a woman. Ruth was such a woman. But in Ruth chapter 4, we have one man that turned her down because he didn't want to pay, in effect, a dowry because it would dilute his estate. But there was another man, oh, he was sweating. He was sweating, hoping that guy number one would not pay so that he could pay. He already had the check made out and in his pocket because he loved Ruth and he was willing to pay anything. He was willing to dilute his estate into the name of another man. Her first husband in order to have her as his present wife. Ruth takes ten men of the city in verse 2, ten of the elders, and says, sit down, guys, we have a business transaction here to consider. And he gets his kinsmen. There was one man in front of him in the line of men that had a right to Ruth. And he gets that one man, and he says to the man in verse 3, Naomi's come back to our country, and she's brought Ruth with her, and would you like to have, would you, would you like to redeem the property that belongs to Naomi given to her through death of her husband? And he explains that in verses three and four, and that's not my purpose right now, so I'm speeding over it. And look at the last four words of verse four. I will redeem it. This man that had the first rights to Ruth said, I will redeem it. But he hasn't been told about Ruth yet. That, that hasn't been mentioned directly. It's just that all of Naomi's estate that was her husband's estate but transferred to her upon death would be his. I will redeem it. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll build my estate. Boaz says in verse 5, Well, what day that you do that? The day that you decide to do that, you also must buy it of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. You're going to have to marry Ruth because Ruth needs to have a son to perpetuate the name of that family in that inheritance. 
Now, instead of just thinking selfishly, I'm going to get, I'm going to increase my property, he now thinks I'm going to have to increase my property and then divide my property because it's going to have to go to someone with a name other than my own. Verse 6, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. And Boaz has one glowing face at this moment. I mean, he was sweating, wondering what this kinsman would do, but the kinsman said, I don't want it. And this is all in the providence of God. This is glorious providence. Ruth the Moabitess becomes the wife of Boaz, the mighty man of wealth of the city of Bethlehem. They have a little boy named Obed. Obed has a little boy named Jesse. Jesse has a little boy named David. David has a little boy named Jesus from Ruth the Moabitess and Boaz, her husband. He pulled his check out and finished the transaction in Ruth chapter 4. Now, how beautiful do you think you were in the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ? I give you Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16. We need a husband. We are stuck at home. And our home is a home of sin. Our home is a home of condemnation. We have been condemned, not by Dehek, but by the living God of heaven. And there's a price to be paid to get us out of it. And it's a dowry. Whatever way that you can think about this subject to delight in its value, think about it. Because the Bible describes our relationship to Jesus Christ as a marriage. We're one flesh. Ezekiel 16. Verse 4, As for thy nativity, in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut. This is you. This is you under a picture of what God thought of Israel and Judah. His chosen people. This is the best nation on earth. Described this way. For thy nativity, in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pitied thee to do any of these unto thee, to have compassion upon thee. But thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person. In the day that thou wast born. And when I passed by thee, this is God, after having described this discarded and thrown away little baby who's still attached to its umbilical cord, never wrapped, never washed, filthy little thing, cast out into a field. When I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. 
I have caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field, and thou hast increased and waxen great, and thou art come to excellent ornaments. Thy breasts are fashioned, this is a girl growing up, and thine hair is grown, whereas thou wast naked and bare. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. And I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. This is a marriage covenant. You became mine. Now this horrible chapter in the Bible, this horrible chapter in the Bible, not that anything the Holy Spirit inspires is horrible, but what it has to tell us is horrible. This little girl grew up, and God had blessed her so abundantly. Israel had nothing. They were like a baby thrown out in a field that had not even had its belly button cut. And God threw His skirt over her, covered her nakedness, washed her, made her clean, loved her, embraced her, because it was the time of love, and He made her His by a covenant of marriage. She went and played the whore. And we all play the whore against God every time we are a friend of the world. Every time we think their music is pleasant to us, we are playing the whore. Every time we watch their lifestyle on television and are entertained by it, we are playing the whore. This is called spiritual adultery in the Bible. It's called a whoring after other gods. The text in the New Testament which I have preached to you before is James 4.4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. In what sense was the whole audience or much of the audience that James was writing adulterers and adulteresses? Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whosoever shall be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. When we flirt with the world, when we get excited about the world's things, when we go to a football game, and you may go to Clemson, I couldn't, I couldn't stand that, but you might go to Clemson, or you might go to see the Gamecocks in Columbia, and you get all excited and you shout for four hours until you're hoarse and you're sweaty and everything's drenched and you've painted yourself maroon on one side and whatever the other color is on the other side, and you've got so much into the worship service of a football game. Then you come in and you yawn and you doze and you daydream in the house of God. You have committed adultery against the Lord God of heaven. He chose you to be his own bride. He made a covenant with you. And here you are getting excited by his enemies because this world is the enemy of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ were to walk into that stadium in Columbia or in Clemson and preach the truth like he did to his people, they would kill him. Without a doubt. And I don't care if 70% of them were Southern Baptists. This world is no friend of the true Jesus Christ of the Bible. They have their own Jesus. But he's not the Jesus of the Bible. This chapter is horrible. in it's graphic. Graphic. Description. Of a whorish wife. Who goes out and gives herself to other men. And, and what it is, is it's a description to get our attention of Israel going to idolatry. And so to, to make the point as powerful as possible, the Lord describes it under the picture of a woman that should owe everything to her husband being a whoremonger. 
And in graphic detail. And this is not the only chapter in Ezekiel that does this. There's a number given to this subject. Listen, God's preachers preach differently than the world's preachers. Ezekiel didn't hold a thing back. If you were to read Ezekiel 16, 20, 22, 23. Because he wanted to make the point as ugly as it is. That when we are friends of the world, we are not loving Christ like we should. We're talking about a dowry. You were never going to be married. You were never going to be able to go to heaven. You were never going to be able to walk those streets of gold. You were never going to be able to see those mansions in glory. You were never going to be able to have any of those privileges or pleasures of heaven. Because there was a stiff dowry demanded. And do you know what that dowry was? The death of a perfectly righteous man. First of all, we've got to find a perfectly righteous man. And second of all, he has to be killed in order to purchase you for marriage. Fifty shekels of silver. How about the blood and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's a dowry. And that's a marriage. And that is love. You think some guy loves you because he paid 50 shekels of silver? Oh, there were many girls in Israel that would be out dancing with their friends and hugging their friends and shouting and so happy and celebrating because somebody's paid 50 shekels for them to go have 50 years of torment. Oh, I didn't mean that part. Not all marriages are as sweet as they're thought to be in the beginning unless the two parties practice this book the way it describes husbands and wives should treat each other. Now, brethren, I'm sorry if this is too slow for you. I had a dowry paid for me, and it was a high one, and it was an expensive one, and there was no one else that would pay it. There was no one else that could pay it. There was no one else that had that kind of wealth that could pay, and there was no one else that would pay because they looked at me and said, No way! There was no way. But the Lord Jesus Christ laid down His life for me. Amen. In the Garden of Gethsemane with the weight on Him of what He was going to have to pay for my dowry. And the dowry was to my Creator, my Father in Heaven, who held me under His just law that had me condemned to an eternity in hell. And that had to be paid off. And eternity in the lake of fire had to be paid off by a perfectly righteous man. And Jesus Christ saw that coming in the Garden of Gethsemane. And He said, Father, if it be possible, let this dowry or this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but Thine be done. He saw His seed. He saw me. Isaiah 53 verses 10 through 12 tells me that Jesus saw me in Gethsemane. And He loved me. And He loved you. If you're a believer and a liver and a lover for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so He went and He paid that price of being forsaken by God His Father. 
of dying the death of crucifixion, of being forsaken by all, of having my sins laid upon him, he paid the dowry. How do we compare it, brethren? How do we compare some little twit coming and getting my daughter for 50 shekels of silver to the Lord Jesus Christ, the high King of heaven, paying with his own precious blood to have me? Was he gaining anything? I was a wretch. I was a rebel. I was an enemy. I was filthy. What a dowry. Jesus paid the dowry to Almighty God in the form of His own precious blood to buy you from the sword of justice where you stood condemned and guilty and you are His bride forever. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, like 50 shekels of silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world for you. God had that purpose to pay that dowry for His elect before the world began. First Peter 1.20 teaches us that. I just quoted 18-20 through 20 for you. The rarest commodity in the universe was found was obtained and was paid for our marriage to Jesus Christ. His life was not taken from Him. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. He said in John ten eighteen, You did not love Him. You did not give Him any encouragement that way when He loved you and gave a dowry for you. You were His enemy. You were hateful and hating one another. And you were a rebel against God. But Jesus Christ paid. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, a pretty girl, a well-favored girl, there'll be guys lined up to pay the 50 shekels. But what if she was an average girl? There wouldn't be as many lined up. What if she was a homely girl? What if she was just ugly? You say, you shouldn't talk about girls being ugly. I'm talking about you, sinner. Right. You were uglier than the ugly girl we're talking about. Amen. When the Lord Jesus Christ looked at us, we were like a little baby with the placenta which is a five-pound piece of liver attached to a telephone cord, attached to your belly button, and you're all covered with blood and other things that I will not mention here because I have a slight little bit of discretion. And you are cast into a field. You were never washed, nor did they put a blanket on you, and they did not put you in the little baby warmer. They threw you out to the loathing of you because you were filthy and despicable. And there was nothing desirable about you. This is how God described His church in Ezekiel 16. But when I passed by, it was the time of love. What time of love? The covenant time of determined love by God for His church. It was the time of love. 
And I said, live. And I wrapped my skirt around you and I covered up your nakedness. And I cut that cord for you. And I washed you and I suppled you and I fed you and I nourished you and I adorned you and I bought clothes for you and you were fashioned and you grew up into be a beautiful woman. And then we have our choice, my dear brothers and sisters, right now in this hour, do we love the Savior who gave His life for us so that we will live for Him? Or are we going to walk out of this place and make friends with the world and listen to their music and read their materials and surf their internet and watch their lifestyle and make friends of them who have no love for Christ and commit adultery against the lover of our souls, our husband. The rest of Ezekiel 16 is horrible. That is, until you get to verse 60. And we'll close with this. If you wanted to do something good for your soul, read Ezekiel 16 this afternoon. Here's its simple outline. Verses 1 through 14, and hopefully you have a paragraph mark at verse 15. I don't always say hopefully because sometimes I don't like those little things. They're not inspired. Verses 1 through 14 describes God's love for this little rejected baby out in the field and how He fashioned her and formed her and she became beautiful and was renowned throughout the whole world because it's the nation of Israel. Verses 15 through 59 describe her whorish ways in graphic detail and what kind of a wicked, profane whore she was. Then in verses 60 through 63, I ask you this. Have you ever fornicated with the world? Ever? Ever committed adultery by being a friend of the world? That's all it takes in God's sight. Have, have, yes, 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 we all have. This is the second passage before I close. Verse 60. Even though she did that, look it, nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with thee in the days of thy youth. How many husbands are there like this? Not only did he pay the dowry, but he's remaining true to his marital covenant. Nevertheless, nevertheless, in spite of everything you did in verses 15 through 59, I will remember my covenant with thee in the days of thy youth, and I will establish unto thee an everlasting covenant. Then thou shalt remember thy ways and be ashamed when thou shalt receive thy sisters, thine elder and thy younger, And I will give them unto thee for daughters, but not by thy covenant. And I will establish my covenant with thee, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord, that thou mayest remember and be confounded, and never open thy mouth any more because of thy shame, when I am pacified toward thee for all that thou hast done, saith the Lord God. Why did the woman who washed the feet of Jesus in Luke 7 love him more than Simon the Pharisee who fed him supper that night loved him? Why? Because the woman had been an adulteress against God. She had been an adulteress most likely in the most literal sense of that word. And she had been forgiven. And when a person has been forgiven much, they love much. 
And so God arranges these things for us sometimes to play the whore, but He still retakes us to Himself again. He reminds us that He made a covenant and He would never desert us. And when we're forgiven, we should love Him more than we've ever loved Him. And so we have Ezekiel 16, and I close with Jeremiah 3, who was a contemporary of Ezekiel and preached the same way. Jeremiah chapter 3. A great man, a perfect man, would pay any dowry to marry you. Right? If he's a great man, if he's a perfect man... He would pay anything to get you because He loves you so much. In Israel, it was 50 shekels of silver. What do you think you're worth? A billion? I'm sorry, and don't be offended. I don't see any billions in here. I mean, I don't see any worth a billion. Well, maybe I'm I'm still worth a million. Well, it's hard for me to imagine that. But that isn't the point. The point is, what price had to be paid? The infinite blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it was paid. And it was paid cheerfully and willingly, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before Him? To have you and me with Him at the Father's right hand for eternity. Is that is that fabulous love? It doesn't make sense. And this is where all these analogies break down. Because men would not do that. Jeremiah 3. They say, this is what men say, If a man put away his wife, and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? No way. Deuteronomy 24, 1-4 condemns that as an abomination in the sight of God. They say, Shall not that land be greatly polluted? If a woman who goes and becomes another man's, goes back to the first man? Look what the Bible says. But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. That's our husband. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. If I took too long on this little point, will you forgive me? And tell the Lord when you meet him in heaven that you're sorry I took so long on him that there were so many other things I could have preached to you. I want you to love Him, and I want you to think about the dowry He paid, and I want you to think about what choices you make the rest of this day. Your choices in entertainment, your choices in friends, your choices in conversation, your choices in music, your choices in what you think, your choices in speech, are they those things that please this husband of ours, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us, or do are they things that make our flesh happy and please the world and offend him? This is our choice. This is where it meets the road. This is where the comparison comes down into our lives. How much do we love him? One departed from us, who made a choice about music at 15 that she held up without letdown for 63 years. Can you make a choice about music, about friends, about all the inputs in your life? Can you make a choice to honor the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me tell you, He's worth it. 
Listen, what he paid for you and all you have to pay for him is to keep his commandments. And he says, my commandments are easy and my yoke is light. My burden is light. My yoke is easy and my commandments are not grievous. It's win-win. What a lover of our souls. Can we love him today? In, in, in our thoughts and in our hearts. Can our, can our heart be glad and can our glory rejoice that Jesus Christ is our Savior? And can we live our lives in such a way that He is pleased because He's our husband and we're His wife? And as the church, or as a wife should be subject to her husband, let the church be subject to Christ. Let's obey Him in every way. Let's honor Him. Have you honored Him by believing on His name? Have you honored Him by being baptized in His glorious name? Consider these things. And may the Lord give you complete understanding. Amen.